our bodies are designed in a way where we are prompted every month that you can conceive mm-hmm. you can conceive now for those women who decide that they do not want to conceive they don't want to have a child what does their body go through like if you're <laughs> over 35 then you're considered a geriatric uh, <laughs> pregnancy which is al- yeah. almost could uh, you be any older <laughs> could you be any older um but are there anything anything that uh, women over 35 need to specifically look out for more like there are also different types of pelvises you know not everyone has the same terms there's a gynecoid pelvis and android pelvis pelvis are also different types so some pelvises have less pain <laughs> some lucky they're more, people they're more they're more uh, that has the least amount of pain gynecoid which one pelvis do i have <laughs> How do, you, how do we get to know which one? How do we get to know? Isn't <laughs> that the size of the, of the hip? Yeah, there's, uh, there are a few ways in which you know to get there. Is it who can twerk best? <laughs> <laughs> so how did people give birth before like medical yes. advancements? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> so that's how can you stress? Yeah, yeah. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Don't Run Into Glass, a podcast hosted by thecitizen.in. I'm Geethi. And I'm Anika. And Anika, what are we chatting about today? Today we're talking about female health. We're, we're a bunch of girlfriends talking to our favorite kind of doctor, a gynecologist, about all the questions that we could never ask a gynecologist. Yeah. And I'm really excited actually for this conversation because I have been, and you know I'm a hypochondriac. So you yes. know I have a million questions. Gethi is a uh, hypochondriac who was convinced that she had gangrene on her toe when she just stubbed <laughs> it against a table. I, I went to the emergency room. She went to the emergency <laughs> room at 2.30 in the morning. And, and this pregnancy, I thought I have pre-inclampsia. I thought I had leaking amniotic fluid. So I've really imagined every single possible symptom. And sometimes I just feel so stupid asking my, guy, my, my actual OBGYN about this. So I'm glad we have with us Namrita in the room who I can unshamedly like ask these questions <laughs> without like yeah, any fear way, of judgment by the way we just had a 45 minute long conversation <laughs> with her about all our personal questions and we're like oh, let's start talking now yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks namrata <laughs> yeah hi i'm so glad to be here <laughs> yeah, we'd just like you to introduce yourself so your uh, how long have you been practicing and uh, yeah just sort of a little bit about yourself yeah so i'm dr namrata and um, i've been practicing since about since the last 12 years right now i'm a consultant working in a hospital in delhi and uh, i think i'm very passionate about my field because um, it's just so other than you know um, all that gynecology involves the fact that you know you can make a difference in in people's life especially women that and educate them and talk about uh, because i think gynecology is so much about like when a patient comes to you it's not just their health they talk about their mental issues what's going on in their lives so along with being a doctor you're also a healer in some way that's And that's something you know um, i really enjoy about my profession you're the only healer i believe in <laughs> if someone comes and tells me i'm going to perform reiki on you and they could go away as like no give me a combi flam <laughs> no but honestly i feel like gynecologists and even uh, pediatricians to a degree they are like almost therapists yeah especially because you're dealing with like even people who are either struggling to conceive or new mums whose hormones are all oh, over the place because yeah. i remember after my daughter was born for the first one week or when i went in for my one week checkup and my doctor asked me how you're doing i just started crying 
<laughs> I don't know why I was crying. Yeah. And she was she was actually just like, this is normal. It's just your hormones crashing. They built up over the pregnancy. You know, just relax. You'll be fine in a week. And I was fine in a week. You know, like I, there was no more crying and or so anything. And so many times, I think women just need mm. somebody to listen to them. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So sometimes they come to you just because they want to be heard. Of course, there is some issue, underlying issue, which is there. But more than that, it's also about how you connect with your patient, uh, whether you're able to give them the uh, the confidence so they can confide in you. Sometimes about their about very intimate issues also. Uh, so I mean, I think it's great when your patient you're able to uh, make a patient feel comfortable enough to discuss issues that are so personal to them. That's, true. that's something I really enjoy about them. They're probably telling you things that they haven't told like their family members yeah. or their partner yes. for that matter. Yeah. 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 A lot of partner. Yeah. yeah. So that Even trust is though I do encourage uh, open communication between partners, especially because I think it's very, very important. That is the foundation of any relationship. But yes, uh, so this is something I really enjoy about my profession. Yeah, I mean, I feel like to be in the medical field, you have to really love your profession because obviously it is grueling, like the is. timings, it and is. which is why we're so appreciative of the fact that you made this long, <laughs> long <laughs> drive. She just did a night shift the night before. <laughs> so thanks yeah. for coming. Yeah. Thank and you for long coming. Drive, yeah. But my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so we have tons of questions for you. We wanted to sort of like just go through the trajectory of, let's say, um, women. Uh, starting with maybe like you know sort of just taking charge of our own fertility right so let's say that as a as a gynecologist do you have any tips for let's say somebody who is maybe still like you know teenagers hit puberty isn't really even thinking about their fertility or anything of the sort is there anything they should be thinking about at that age in terms of like lifestyle choices diet nutrition anything to preserve their fertility in the long run? So I think that's a very good question. So uh, at the outset, I would, what I would like to tell everybody is that yes, so most women have this concern that with age does the fertility decline. So what I wanted to tell you all is that yes, the moment a child is born, a girl child is born, all the eggs that she's going to release throughout her lifespan, they are there, you know, in her body at that time when she's born. And when you hit puberty, that's the time when you start having your periods. That's the time you know, every month you release one of the egg, one egg from, you know, uh, every month one egg is released from the either of the two ovaries, right? So obviously, so the older you get, you're releasing an older egg, you know, it's an, it's an old egg that you're releasing, it's from that, the pool of eggs that you have, you're releasing an egg, right? So the older you get, you're releasing an older egg from your system, that is, that is true. The, so the thing that you can take care of from Early on is what I would say is good exercise, a, a good healthy exercise routine. You should be point on with your nutrition and just leading a stress-free uh, lifestyle where you follow a nutritious diet and a good exercise regime without putting undue stress on yourself about uh, like anything. Like How in a world of uh, uh, work targets and Zomato, it's close to impossible. <laughs> Yeah, especially yeah. With, when I see young girls yeah. and how, you know, how even us, we've become so used to, uh, you know, ordering food from outside. And so I think that's something from a very young age, which mothers or as, as uh, parents, we need to uh, probably also change our own dietary habits because I think children also learn from what they see at yeah. home. So I guess if we make it a routine or a habit to maybe encourage good eat healthy habits, eating habits, eating healthy. So that's what, what the child imbibes what they see. 
right? So if a, if you make that kind of a you know uh, a, 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 if they see that if you see the parents eating healthy or drink, and you have good healthy food which can be which is yummy and nutritious at the same time, you know. So if children get into that habit. Like I, as a child, maybe I—I I, I don't think I ever really uh, had Coke or you know uh, cold drinks till yeah. I was maybe I don't know fifteen, sixteen. I—we I, never had that at home. We would drink the you know age-old nimbu pani made at home. Made at home, yeah. Did you have rasna? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Campa yeah. Cola was a luxury, you know. Yeah, yeah. Really rasna. Yeah. But you know, so these days I see, yeah, these days I see that is the reason the obesity is so high. Yeah. You know, so all that you know, so children, and especially now with the uh, with the phones, children being so addicted to their phones, there's hardly any physical activity. Yeah. So we need to encourage not even not only young girls but even boys. We need to encourage them to be more active, eat healthy diet. So unnecessary stress. I wouldn't say that you know you need to put unnecessary stress about fertility. Yeah. It's more about a healthy lifestyle. You know, starting uh, start start young. Make sure that you know, your children follow a healthy lifestyle. If yeah. they're healthy, they'll be healthy in every way. And I think a healthy lifestyle is important from the sense that, like those habits that you inculcate at that age, like will hold you in good stead uh, later on later as well. On, yeah. So you know, if you're used to eating well and eating and nutritious immunity. food, good immunity, you have good immunity. So that will help you not only. So this it will help you in every in every sphere of your life. Yeah. You know, it's not just good fertility is just one of the. Uh, by product products yeah. of being healthy and i want to also point out because i've read this many times and now only like fertility pregnancy stuff comes up on my instagram <laughs> uh, feed but um i've read that like uh, male health is also very very important towards uh, fertility and conception so there's this sort of perception that it's all you know on the woman and she she it's her fertility but apparently if like the father is yes. um, not very healthy uh, then or that can also impact smoker that affects smokers yeah. being overweight being or, overweight or underweight and just like completely lacks exercise how yeah. true is Definitely. that yeah that's yeah. very true so there is also something as male infertility so if we talk about even the causes of infertility the most important causes unexplained Unexplained infertility is the most important cause of infertility, or the most common cause. I would like to correct myself. Okay. The most common cause of infertility, unexplained infertility, where both the partners are healthy, but yet they're not able to conceive, hmm. right? So because of unexplained reason, that's unexplained infertility. And the second most common cause of infertility is male infertility. Ah, okay. So male infertility is commoner than female infertility. Hmm. It's just it's not addressed so much, right? Hmm. So smoking, heavy smokers. And um, alcoholics, which does not mean that you can't enjoy an occasional drink. You can, but I'm talking about you know hardcore, uh, hardcore alcoholics, obese people, smokers, so all, and not exercising enough. So all these factors do contribute to male infertility, mm. which is an important contributor to infertility. And this unexplained uh, fertility, do we have any reason like what could be the causes for it, or is it that just is, like that's why it's unexplained? No one knows. It's like <laughs> yeah. literally, it's yeah, just a couple that is unable to to conceive, conceive despite everything being normal. Yeah, and I think that unexplained segment stress plays a very very yeah. important role. Correct. Like in, in everything in life, stress is a major contributor to. I mean, you could put it to any disease. You know, yeah. these days the whole the mind body game. You know how powerful the mind is. Yeah. If you're stressed out. You know, you could have symptoms, like you know, we were just discussing how <laughs> my <laughs> array of symptoms. Yeah. yeah. So you know, undue stress yeah. can uh, cause varied symptoms. So stress is mm. uh, is the main um, 
yeah. factor. Yeah, and I think our lifestyle is also, I mean, we're, we're all now a lot more stressed than we'll maybe be, yeah, our parents' it, generation yeah, was. Yeah, because yeah. everyone's competitive, they yeah. want, and also this generation where you want um, easy gratification and you're so impatient, and so that, which is not helping, Yeah, right, in any way. In fact, what, I, what you said to Anika, I think, is really uh, useful because uh, we were sort of like talking and uh, Anika said that, you know, you're going to be obviously trying for a yeah. baby soonish. Soon, yeah. So you wanted to do all your tests and your and advice was... And it's like was, a classic question because like I'm 36 now hmm. and all our life we've been conditioned to imagine that that's late. That's yeah. really late. So my question to you was, you know, Are how you do really I do? But yeah, yeah, carry on. Yeah, and so you said that don't bother with the tests. Just, just sort of like try. And if for re some reason it doesn't happen in six months or a year, then you start worrying about the tests. Yeah. Because what the tests, and I've had, this has happened to my friends who've not even started trying. They've done tests and they've seen that their AMH is low or, you know, some, some reading is not right or whatever it might be. And then they get paranoid and very, very stressed very about stressed, that. Which is Whereas not if they didn't know, they probably would have, you know, not even, even thought about yeah, it. Yeah, conceived. Exactly. So, you know, having said that, like I said at the outset, that, you know, of course, age is a role. Age plays a role in your fertility yeah. game. But yes, but that's all right. Now we know that you're 36, which is fine. Of course, the best fertility period, fertile period for any woman is, of course, like 21 to maybe, you know, 34, because the older you get, we're releasing the older egg, of course, and the quality of the eggs could go down. But the thing is, 36 is not that old also, as long as the cycles are regular and you're not experiencing any, uh, any other, you know, uh, menstrual issue, your cycles are regular. It means that you're, you, your uh, uh, hormonal milieu is, is somewhat normal yeah yeah you're not experiencing any symptoms mm. so out of the ordinary so you should try and conceive you should try and uh, try to get pregnant for about a year and if you're not able to get pregnant that's when you should start investigating yourself mm. but you know I wanted to ask one question now that um, I'm reaching the age of 30 like on the other half of the 30s um, a common thing between me and my girlfriends that we talk about is like we have started feeling our hormones in a much more significant way, you know. Uh, now, also it's like for a long time for women, oh, she's hormonal, oh, she's, she's PMSing. You know, these are commonly used terms. Sometimes it's offensive and sometimes it's actually true. Mm. You know, it's all, sometimes all those memes uh, on mm. the internet hit hard. It's like... Now I know why I was, why I was bawling my eyes out, eyes out because two days later I, you know, started my period. So I want you to talk a little bit about and sort of tell like people of all genders about what does this hormonal uh, action in a woman's body mean and as they grow along, how does it evolve and how to be okay or understand it better, you know? So, um to be honest, this whole uh, change in hormone and how hormones affect our mood and our, and sometimes, you know, so uh, if you're cranky or if you're uh, in a bad mood, definitely our hormones are acting up and, you know, it, they do play a role in that. So there's no denying that, right? And Sometimes it's so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I want to be in a good mood. It's like great weather outside, but I hate everyone. <laughs> yeah, but that is true because, you know, there is a fluctuation in your hormone levels throughout the menstrual cycle. Mm. That's how we as women are designed. Mm. Some women feel it more, some don't as much. Just like, you know, so many women, I've had friends who've had so much of, 
uh, dysmenorrhea, like when you have pain in your periods, painful periods. Mm. So the, to the point that, you know, they had to skip school because of that. Yeah. And there are women who have never had, you know, a problem with their periods, you know, no pain, nothing. They, they would be playing basketball, being very active during their periods. So that is a variation which is seen. Hmm. But, you know, having said that, that yes, hormones do play a role. They affect our mood. You know, PMS is real, pre-menstrual so syndrome. It is so real. Yeah, but it's not that everyone gets it. Hmm. Why we get it? Of course, because of the hormones, right? Sometimes we feel low when we're about to get our periods because of the tip in the hormones and that's because you're, you're going to get your periods. So all that affects your mood. Hmm. So you just have to identify that, you know, it should, so a little bit of uh, hormonal, like, you know, a little bit of uh, emotional instability is all right, you know, because you can control it just by being more in uh, control of yourself. But if you feel it's bothering you to a point where it's affecting your daily activities, mm -hmm. that's when you should see a gynecologist. Because there are medicines that we can prescribe. Once we get to know what your symptoms are, we can prescribe medicines which will help you get over it. So you don't have to suffer. The idea behind this is that yes, these things are real. We can't deny it. Hormones play a role. And, but you need to get yourself treated if you feel it's impacting your daily life. So is it true that because of these hormones, every month we have just one good week? No, not really. <laughs> there are very few women who would qualify, who would, you know. It's like your body is preparing, your body is ovulating, your body is in the period thing. And when the period is over, then it's like the one good week that comes that nothing is happening. Your body is just like, I've done it all. No, and but then stuff it is again. happening. Your body is uh, sort of like then getting rid of, uh, preparing to get rid of the lining and the eggs. So there's so not stuff a, is even a single good week. Is that what you're telling <laughs> me? So, so, I, so there's a very interesting story which is there in a book which, which is like, you know, so every month the uterus prepares itself to receive the baby and the uterus is planning and preparing. And because every month, and when the uterus does not, you know, the baby doesn't get implanted, the uterus weeps. And that's what we see as the mm. menstrual blood, <laughs> you know, so. It's like a story my grandma told me once. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, but then this is kind of true. But then, you know, there are very few women who actually, uh, you know, have these hormonal issues to a point where it's actually impacting their lives so hard. Yeah, but I otherwise, mean, just listen to a good song and have a drink. Yeah, you'll feel better. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just like uh, nothing can tame me <laughs> and do not cross me. <laughs> like I, I think it's a blessing to be born as a woman. I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah, it is magical. Actually, oh, but there's one really annoying part, guys. I have to tell you this. It's like it's like with Isla, like my daughter as well. Like I mean, I carried her, right? Then I fed her. I had the sleepless nights, everything. And like honestly, when she came out, everyone and t till today, everyone just tells me, oh, she, she looks, looks like exactly like. <laughs> Dad, I think it just frustrates me to no end. I, mean, I, mean, I, I have patients who say the same thing. It's so irritating when somebody says that. But like the other day, Gethi came back after an ultrasound and she said, the doctor tells me that this child too is looking like the dad. And I was like, how can the doctor tell no, me? No, he said he said that to me and he also said, just, just, just accept the fact that you're a luggage carrier for your husband's <laughs> genes. Oh, God. I was like, this is brutal. This is so brutal. But... <laughs> no, I think he just meant gently, like just yeah. yeah. He was, he was, he was, he but was you know, also that, um, that when children are growing up, their their face and it keeps changing. Yeah, you know, so yeah. she must be still young. How old is your daughter? She's two and a half, and oh, yeah, she's, she's already she's looking two. more like me than yeah. she did like till a few months ago. Yes. So, but now I'm just joking. I actually doesn't really bother me, but it mm -hmm. is it is so unequal. Like you do think about uh, the fact that like. 
as far as the biological process is concerned, the burden is on the woman, right? True. Like yeah. in terms of uh, conceiving, um, uh, even you know, carrying your child, birthing your child. Like I mean, labor is like a uh, another story altogether and then even the postpartum period I mean you know, the father is of course involved to whatever degree that they can but the bond between the baby and the mother and the fact that you are the one who can feed the baby it's all very like the onus is on the woman, on the woman. I agree um, but I think here one thing I would like to say that antenatal workshops play a very important role I don't know if you're in your first pregnancy you have you attended any antenatal workshops or if you're attending now yeah because you know so we uh, at our hospital have these antenatal workshops where we make sure that the so it's, it's, it is the both partners attend the workshop together where uh, we explain what the woman is going to, especially first time mothers, because yeah. they have no idea what they're going to, what they're in for and what they're going to experience during the pregnancy. So we try to explain them a few symptoms which are normal and if they're having it, they don't, how, you know, they can tackle it with a few symptoms themselves at home also. And we also explain them about labor, once they go into labor, what should they expect yeah. and you know how it is, we teach them a few exercises. And we also, so it kind of also is very uh, informative for the fathers to be. Of course. And I've yeah. seen uh, uh, a lot of, uh, I find these men to be far more empathetic. And the whole experience, especially for the woman, is much better because the, the male partner is so involved yeah. during delivery. And I think the woman also feels somewhere very... Um, it's very comforting, yeah. you know, when your partner is that involved. I mean, of course, I mean, yeah, I wasn't, I'm not trying to like sort of <laughs> mitigate the father's role. It is very, very important. I thought they just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and for a woman. To be honest, I think women are far stronger than men because, you know, 100%. especially even during labor, I've seen that women are, some of them, they're like, they're really strong and they're like in the act, to, like, you know, they're, they're okay, we do it we push and the men are like you know if you look at them you're like you know they might just collapse <laughs> and you know some of them are so heavy you feel I will not be not I've heard these the stories of yeah. like the father I mean, if you collapse here I don't yeah. think you know yeah. I'll be able to handle you <laughs> yeah. and also I think even the labor and uh, delivery rooms like they're a very like powerful female energy because usually your doctor I mean not in all cases not but at all. least in my case yeah. like the doctor was also women the birthing staff and the nurses were all women so it is a bunch of women like kind of like just cheering you on to like have the baby and push and you know be able to have that birth uh, so that is also like a nice like little tribe and you know a very empowering experience True. Um, that's the positive side of it and here also <laughs> I feel that even during your pregnancy you're physically active you're doing your squats and lunges I mean of course under supervision yeah because you know you I wouldn't recommend recommend you to exercise on your own without supervision but if you have somebody guiding you and trying and tell you a few exercises you should do even uh, yoga or whatever form of exercise that you want to do that also really helps in uh, normal vaginal delivery so this is also a question Anika and I were actually talking about this before uh, as well uh, there's been a huge rise in like c-sections uh, not just in urban cities in India but like across the world and uh, you know we have there's that myth that like you know rural women uh, don't have so many suits I don't know if this is a myth or a fact but uh, uh, obviously rural women have more natural deliveries and that's maybe because they they're squat so more to, yeah, and they're labor. like you know mm. they're physically yeah. uh, fitter uh, for lack of a better word uh, but is there a trend for hospitals to push you towards c-sections as well uh, I don't know if you're actually allowed to really even speak on the subject or not but why are we seeing such a rise on rise in C-sections is basically my I question. I'll only try to, I'll only speak about myself. I wouldn't like to comment on any other, yeah. other people and what they practice. 
Uh, you're right that in some hospitals, even I've observed that there is an increase in the rate of cesarean section. Sometimes cesarean section is actually warranted, and you yeah. you actually need to do it. And uh, that's and uh, sometimes and you know and, and that's the time when sometimes patients don't understand and they feel oh doctor is just doing it because you know for their own interest or whatever reason. But there are a lot of times when it's actually indicated and you need to do it. So and what, what, what would are be those, those times? Yeah, yeah. What are those times? What are those? Uh, situations where the patient if the doctor says that like just listen to the doctor you know yeah yeah so uh, so there could be so some are uh, out and out absolute indications where you won't even consider vaginal delivery mm -hmm. like if you have it's a case of placenta previa that your placenta is you know overlying the yeah. cervix there's no way that you want to deliver right so either that or if it's a breach presentation or a trans malpresentation, you know, it's not that the head is down. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of indications like that. Malpresentation means the baby is the other way around? Yeah. It yeah, it could be okay. a transverse or a breach presentation. So mm. first time, even though uh, these days the trend is for even for primary first time mothers who have a breach, generally they go in for a cesarean section. Yeah. So a lot of absolute indications where, you know, there's no question. And that for that, patients are generally prepared. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, during if you're in labor, they could they, they, again then there are some emergency conditions. You could have a cord prolapse. Yeah. Or a rupture. What's a cord prolapse? That the umbilical cord. When sometimes when you rupture the membrane, the cord may slip out. Ah, okay. Or even otherwise, sometimes you know, if the if the head prolapse is not fixed, means that it's not being held into place. It's just it's, it comes completely out from the vagina. Yeah, yeah, it comes out. So that's an absolute <clears throat> emergency. You know? Yeah. So it's also caused a lot of obstetrician distress because you need to immediately shift the patient. Yeah. And you have to deliver the baby. You don't have too much time you know so those indications uh, even patients patients won't uh, don't contest because you know they can see how urgent it is but so many times you know if you see the patient baby may have maybe may have pooped inside yeah. you know it's called meconium yeah uh, there's thick meconium with ctg changes so during labor also we try and monitor the baby's uh, heart rate yeah right and there's a you take a uh, it's a graph that you take out which is like a representation of the baby's heart rate right just like an ECG, an adult ECG. So that's that's the graph that I'm, I'm sure. I'm, yeah, uh, yeah, I was yeah, strapped yeah. to that uh, yeah, thing, see, which was really annoying. Actually, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, there's a belt yeah. that's tied across yeah. your umbilicus yeah. and they're tracking the baby's mm -hmm. heart rate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if there's any, any abnormality in that, so there could be some abnormalities that you can still deal with. But if there is, if it's uh, if it's really pathological, you take a decision for a cesarean section and shift the patient to the OT. Okay. Yeah. So there are certain indications like that where sometimes, you know, you tell the patient they're not convinced about it and they want to still think about it and say, oh, we want to take our time, we want to think. But mostly patients trust the doctor and yeah. you know, if you tell them that, okay, this is really needed. I feel like anytime I'm in pain and a doctor's in front of me and a doctor says, do this, it's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, you know, I've had uh, friends that have given birth in the US where the doctors are not actually really allowed to tell them. Uh, point blank what to do whereas here it's different you know here if your labor is going on for too long or they feel like the baby's in distress or something of the sort they can very clearly just tell you listen it's time for a c-section uh, but now like with new rules in the states for instance it's harder to do that so I had a friend who was in labor for a long long time her baby was uh, very large and uh, clearly the doctors wanted a c-section but they didn't know how to like say it so um she actually suffered a very long labor and ultimately did she, go she had to have a c-section yeah. yeah so um is that also does that also play a role in deciding whether you should have a c-section or not how long your labor has been uh, you can't say so you know a lot of parameters play a role yeah you know a lot of you know so it's a passenger which is the baby the pelvis and the contractions 
how you get does it. Does the size of the baby matter? Yes, it does. Okay, because in her case, so, it was a large baby so if, as well. So if the baby is like 4 kilos or 4.5 kilos, yeah. you know, if you're trying to pull out that baby vaginally, you yeah. fracture the clavicle or you, or, you know, the baby, and there's a huge risk of shoulder dystocia, yeah. which is a total obstetrician's distress where the head of the baby comes out and the shoulders get stuck oh God. inside. <laughs> you know, God. Which How is, did people give birth before like medical yes. advancements? Oh God. No, it's more stressful for the doctor, imagine, because the doctor that. there is responsible for two lives, you know. Yeah. Mm. So I would definitely still say trust your doctor because, you know, they're actually more scared than you, because, I mean, or scared or concerned is right word for you because you know they're, they're they're responsible for two lives yeah which know? is also probably why many are on the side of caution and yeah. why there are more c-sections right and yeah that, exactly yeah. and especially with the um, uh, with how strict you know the legal system is and you know how and even patients you know sometimes they change their statements and it becomes it's it's, yeah. it's you know, everything is on it's uh, on you. So yeah. I think uh, doctors are sometimes not wrong in taking that decision. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, yeah, only if you're in a big hospital where you have a whole huge support staff, are you able to, like in our hospital, we're able to take that call, we're able to uh, really uh, try for a normal delivery. Is because we, it's a very well equipped hospital where we have a lot of doctors, you know, we have a concept of group practice. So it is, uh, we're able to manage that. Yeah. But there are some people who are working on their own in their small nursing homes. It becomes very difficult for them to take yeah. that call. Mm -hmm. Got it. I guess one of the questions I also wanted to ask is that, you know, um, there are a lot of women out there who do not take the route of uh, making a family or even conceiving for that matter. And our bodies are designed in a way where we are prompted every month that you can conceive. Mm. You can conceive. Now, for those women who decide that they do not want to conceive, they don't want to have a child, what does their body go through? So, I think, uh, so one thing that, uh, so there are two aspects to that. One is if, they don't, if they're not ready for pregnancy yet and in future they would want to conceive, they can obviously go for egg freezing. They mm. could freeze their eggs. That's one option available to them in case they want to uh, go down that road. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is if they don't want to conceive. And what's the best age to freeze your eggs? Again, you know, that the earlier you do it, the better. Right. You know, so because again, you're taking from that ovarian pool, that, which is already there, right? right? So the earlier you do it, the better it is. Mm. So maybe before 35 would be a good age. Um, and the other thing is that if you choose not to consider, so I think it's a very personal choice. And these days, a lot of women, a lot of married couples I see who are planning not to have children and they're mm. okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if you want to go down that route, that's also fine. It's not that you're going to experience perspective of like it's not that you are you know um, hormones are acting a certain way. Does is it does your body go through changes not that really. you must be aware about? In the sense, just because you choose one, the two females, one female chooses to get pregnant, the other one doesn't get pregnant. It's not that the bodies, the hormones are going to you know act up differently in the one woman who chooses not to have children. Mm -hmm. They when when they're perimenopausal, when in that when they're in that age, of course that. Even a woman who's had children, even her body is going to act up and you know have those symptoms. Uh, but but then again, having said that, also there's so many women who have a very smooth transition to menopause. Hmm. They have no yeah. symptoms at all. And there's some women who have a lot of it's it's very complicated for them. Yeah. So again, it's very difficult to uh, predict and to you know, oh you're going to have a you, it's going to be difficult for you the whole transition to menopause. Hmm. You can't you know it's. Only when you reach that stage, you know how easy or how difficult it was for you. Yeah, no, and I, I think that was an interesting question because I know a lot of like 
again friends of mine who have chosen not to have children and they do think about this they're like yeah. you know is it going to like impact like my, my health overall health. does overall it make me health, more prone yeah. prone to i don't know breast cancer ovarian cancer or like you yeah. know so things like certain, that so there are certain so there are certain cancers that you are but then uh, that you're more prone to but the thing is that you know that risk is very small hmm. yeah exactly so the, we're also by saying that trying to uh, put unnecessary fear in the minds yeah. of people they feel oh since i did not conceive oh, i am i prone prone to this yeah. so i don't think you really need to start googling it's a very marginal it's, it's, a, it's a very increase, marginal yeah. increase yeah. It, it, it may never happen yeah. Also. Yeah. so you don't need to i feel unnecessarily uh worry too much yeah worry too much like we said stress is uh, you know yeah. that's you know, probably causing it you know, <laughs> not like you're not having a child yeah. it's like i think the uh, yeah so that's that's more important so we don't need to it's, it's very marginal uh, thing so i feel in today's day and age being stress free making good lifestyle choices is more important than worrying about unnecessary um, that's where the you know our focus should be and like now um there are you know there are in a, in a gender fluid world that we live there are several uh, people who've transitioned to becoming a female a woman mm. now uh, who do they who do they go to do they also come to a gynecologist and can they conceive like uh, so that's a very uh, so no that's very uh, so yes they should come to a gynecologist but somebody who's had a sex change operation mm. let's say you know the it's 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 just the genitalia which is going to change they don't have the uh, so first of all even in transgenders there's a lot of uh, varieties you know you need to check like what it is but it will if they don't have the internal organs they don't have a uterus okay. they won't be able to conceive in fact there have been cases of like women who have transitioned to men and like as um, uh, as men they have uh, you know gotten pregnant and they've Uh, of course, delivered babies. Of course, yeah. It depends like because if you have the, they have the uterus. Yeah, 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 they have the uterus. Yeah, so it all depends on that, and that is that requires a lot of you know. Uh, sometimes you need to give external hormones. Yeah. So that's again a very. Uh, and this is not a really a gynecologist department, right? Like, um, it's it, it's another medical department. So or? some of the patients have to be seen in consultation with, with an someone. endocrinologist. Got it. Yeah, so it is. Uh, it's kind of sometimes multi-speciality. So you involve yeah. different specialities and then treat such a patient. Got it. And also sometimes we need to take help of a psychiatrist because these people also go through a lot of uh, mental health issues or sometimes emotional issues. You mm. know, so you need to involve uh, doctors from different specialities to take care of that one patient. Absolutely. Got it. Mm. Um, also, question like now, you know, we also joke about this amongst our friends because we're all over thirty-five, and like if you're <laughs> over thirty-five, then you're considered a geriatric uh, <laughs> pregnancy, which is al- yeah. almost. Could uh, you be any older? <laughs> could you be any older? <laughs> um, but are there anything, anything that uh, women over thirty-five need to specifically look out for more? Like for instance, I had a friend, and this didn't happen to me. We're both over thirty-five. she was just prescribed blood thinners immediately and the uh, gynecologist said that that's protocol if you're over 35 you're just going to get blood thinners that's not the case that i had but what are the things that maybe like older lack of a better word women need to look out for when uh, so uh, yeah you're right so so books do mention that you know so at 35 you may think that we are young when you are young i don't think there is a age really defines a woman that way but yes um, in if you want to get pregnant even books mention oh you know so now you're a elderly gravida good <laughs> you will not think of yourself as elderly but that's how it is i'm not my that much hair color and <laughs> you can't see this with your gray hair <laughs> <laughs> okay first you dye your hair then we'll talk about it yeah. 
but then mm-hmm. you know the truth be told that yes like a lot of things like hypertension diabetes so the risk the complica- the risk of complication does go up yeah you know the older you are you have the there is a risk factor i mean it is a risk factor and the complication the medical disorders of pregnancy are seen more in women who are uh, older but then again i was so i don't want to stress out women yeah you know? because again the increases marginal yeah, yeah 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 there is an, there is definitely there's an increase but then not so much and it can yeah. be easily managed so the idea is to have a uh, um, you know do, don't to have a pregnancy that is well supervised have regular hospital visits and let your di- doctor diagnose those things yeah. because you know it's not don't a, google them yeah don't google them and also uh see problems happen even with blood pressure it will happen when it becomes uncontrolled yeah similarly with diabetes you know there is also something called gestational diabetes just because you're pregnant you, you become because pregnancy is an insulin resistant state mm. right so you could develop diabetes just because you have become pregnant and you you were you know you were never diabetic earlier it's called yeah. gestational diabetes mellitus because you were pregnant you've got diabetes and once you're once you deliver you go your blood sugars become normal but okay. yes once a lady has diabetes she has a 50% increased chance of developing diabetes later on in life but for that you can be a little bit more careful be like a, a but you might feel this body but you might not get just yeah you may diabetes. not it's again yeah. just 50% rise yeah. and then if you're and, and if you still control uh, you know your diet and you're you're good with your exercise i mean you will never get it yeah so yes it does make you more prone if you're uh, it also increases your risk of like uh, birth defects like down like yes, uh, chromosomal yeah, abnormalities yes. and why is that is, the egg is yeah. older and then but then having said that even young females have uh, yeah. down syndrome it's not that you know that the young uh, even uh, we have a 20 years old who have down syndrome yeah you know? i mean i think like what was reassuring was or that you know it was a one in a thousand chance when you're like 20 something and it's a one in a 800 chance i mean i'm just yeah the, the sort this of this keeps uh, going up it's even higher when you're more than 40 and yeah. you can see but one in a 800 i can you know that's, you can take that's that not, chance yeah you can take that chance <laughs> it's, it's okay guys we don't need to worry because namrata just delivered a 44 year old yes. woman's child recently so yes. it's fine yeah she was 44 who conceived spontaneously okay and it's not like she got married late yeah. this woman this patient of mine got married in her, uh, in her probably late 20s early 30s they never wanted to have a child yeah and uh, probably like i don't know they uh, in the last one year you know when she was like 43 they just had this thought that okay why don't we try and you know if we have it we have it it's not yeah. that they were desperate to have a baby and she conceived spontaneously and in fact she delivered vaginally you know that's something yeah. a lot of women these days don't have they they it's not the doctors only you know want to go ahead and do a c section so there's so many patients that's who true. come to us they don't want a normal delivery. yeah that's true like in doctor fact, i would like to you know in fact we are convincing them to you know you should yeah. try and at our hospital even if you have had a cesarean we try and you know encourage patients if they can after a cesarean yeah, yeah yeah if they can if they, so there are certain criteria that need to be met for us to give you a trial of normal delivery and after what's that infection. criteria uh, for uh, what's it called vaginal birth after C-section we yeah. back yeah so we give them a trial of labor after cesarean section if it's successful it's called a vbac vaginal okay. birth after cesarean so this is going to get very technical but then <laughs> it might be useful for people who are sort of tuning in and yeah, have so had the, c-sections yes. and might be considering a vaginal birth yeah so if you've had previous one uh, cesarean section after previous two it is you have to be more judicious okay so you could still but then it's safest after previous one low segment transverse cesarean section like if you've had a classical cesarean 
So it depends on this kind of scar you've got ah, in the okay. uterus and or if you've had any, had any other surgery like if you've got a fibroid removed from the uterus or a myomectomy scar where the cavity was open, you don't give them a trial, you know. So and if then you have to also look into the what is the weight of the baby, how many years back was the last cesarean done, what was the indication for that cesarean, was it an emergency cesarean, elective cesarean. So you need to have a consult with a doctor where the doctor will look into a lot of factors, try to see these factors, it should, have, it should be a currently asymptomatic pregnancy, there should be no other complications. What's an asymptomatic pregnancy? Where you don't have any, like, you don't have any medical disorders of pregnancy. You don't have pre You're not really yeah. high risk, you know, for that. <laughs> so no complication over a complication, you know. So all that, the doctor will see that for you, they'll screen that. And yeah. if, you, if, you, if they feel that you're fit to have, to undergo a trial of labor, they will give you that option. It's not like they're going to force it down your throat. Yeah. They'll give you that option in case you're willing, then... Uh, and why are women not willing? Because there's some, I read again, because my Instagram feed is <laughs> flooded with this, but there is a risk of the, uh, rupture. the, the rupture of the hmm. scar tissue. So there are two things. There is a, one there is a risk of rupture and there's also a risk, uh, it could be a dehiscence. There's a risk of uterine rupture also. Yeah. There's a risk of dehiscence also, where it's not a complete rupture, but the scar gives way. So there is that risk. But, you know, uh, so when we're giving a trial of labor also, we tell our patients that out of 100, 70 to 75 will deliver vaginally. Okay. The that's success rate is 70 to 75. Now, if you don't deliver vaginally in that 25 or 28% patients, it's not that you know, you're going to die or there's going to be rupture. There are also normal reasons why you may not deliver. Like for a primary gravidol, so first time mother going into labor, she may also not deliver. There could be a severe bradycardia, there could be other reasons, a cord prolapse. Yeah. It can also happen in this post-cesarean patient, right? So those chances are also considered that those things can also or you may not progress there could yeah. be a failure to dilate like even in a first time mother you may not dilate the cervix does not open happened to me. how do we deliver <laughs> if the, yeah. yeah so if the cervix is not open we can't deliver you so those factors are also here mm. and the chance of actual rupture is very low you know it is just about you know 1.2 to 1.5 which okay. you know yeah. actually it's actually 0.8 to 1.2 so in 100 women it is less than one. Yeah. So in if 100 women are in labor, less than one will probably have a rupture or dehiscence. And that also for these women, they're high risk patients. So there is one, one is to one ratio of a doctor patient ratio attending to them. Yeah. So there is somebody with you all the time. And you know, there are certain signs uh, with which you can pick up that, okay, then probably there is a, the scar is giving way. And you know, we try and shift the patient as soon as we pick up that sign, you know, so. It's not that it's going to be a catastrophe if it happens. But yes, you have to be very, very, uh, you know, uh, vigilant and you have to be very, very careful in these pregnancies. But we have delivered a lot of uh, these patients. Yeah, I'm so. just sometimes amazed how this happened so frequently prior to like so much medical advancement. I mean, and I think I went into my first pregnancy kind of like being like, oh, it's the most natural process in the world. I'm not going to have any pain because, you know, it is... Uh, sort of what women are designed to do. We're designed to give birth. And it was only after I experienced the crazy labor pains that I experienced. And then I read later that actually human beings, our pelvises are actually pretty small. So unlike other mammals who have fairly painless birth, human beings actually do have very painful birth. And that's always been the case. 
Um, so is that true, that's or am I just? Yeah, there are also different types of pelvises. You know, not everyone has the same pelvis. The gynecoid pelvis, the android pelvis. Pelvis are also different types. So some There's pelvises have less pain. Some lucky they're more, people. They're more. They're more. Uh, that has the least amount of pain. Gynecoid which one pelvis. Do I have? <laughs> how, do you, how do we get to know which? How do we get to know? Does it have the size of the of the hip? <laughs> yeah, there's. Uh, there are a few ways in which is doctor can tell. Is it who can, can twerk best? <laughs> <laughs> so there are different kinds of pelvises. So there is one gynecoid pelvis which is nice and roomy. So it's easier i definitely don't have that <laughs> you know why so i want to say this because like in in archaeology and art history you go to museums um earliest sculptures of women uh, whenever you saw a woman with a very small waist and very wide uh, hips generally they were called the fertility goddess mm. in fact in the indus valley civilization or the harappan civilization a lot of goddesses especially the ones that were found around the mohenjo-daro harappa sites a lot of goddesses were found you know elaborate headgear big waist tiny waist tiny. Uh, big hips tiny yeah. waist and commonly called fertility goddesses how would we know that yeah. we don't know that because we can't read the script or we can't we don't know the language or e even if it was language but generally called fertility goddess because of this wide hip, you know. Yeah. So is it that the wide hip signifies easy birth? Kind of, you could say that as a layman, yes. Mm. But then you also need to do an internal examination to see that if it's actually the gynecoid pelvis because that's the pelvis. But yes, for a layman, it yeah, it does, um, you know, it would generally be probably be a gynecoid pelvis. Mm. But we do a pelvic assessment also to you see. You better hope you have that one. I've <laughs> been, I think they must be calling her a fertility goddess because she just produced many children. And she's like, girl, you got it. You know? yeah. <laughs> and is it true that your second labor is usually a little faster and easier? Supposed to be. Yeah, it is. It is because, you know, for Maltese, they say it's easier. But yeah. But then having said that, there are always exceptions where I have women, they're like, oh, the first day was much oh. easier. <laughs> just trying to tell myself, at least the second one is going to be it's easier than the but, first one. Yeah, but yeah, good. I'm sure you're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. So how yeah. many months are you into your pregnancy? I am uh, due in October and we're okay. in August. So, okay. just, so started my third trimester recently. Yeah. So now I have to start thinking about uh, the birth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the months after Well, at that. least to have the epidural. I mean, thank God I live in an age where like uh, medical advancement has reached the point where like they can take my pain away. Because I actually went into my, first, my, my birth uh, with my daughter thinking that, oh, I'm not going to need pain medication. I have a high threshold of pain and like, that this is human beings case. are designed to do this. What did, and what did you do get then? I became an epidural junkie. I like literally started begging them to like just increase so that did epidural. You, uh, so you took epidural the first time? I did. And I do you did. think it helped you? I, it, it actually helped my pain, but I think it stalled my labor. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those, you know. Also know that she's a hypochondriac. Mm -hmm. So maybe even just like just the fact that she's taking maybe. No, no, it definitely gave me a lot of relief, which is why this time I've actually brought a doula on board as well, because I need like some mental coaching yeah, yeah. That, to be able helps. to uh, delay that epidural. Because mm -hmm. what happened to me in the first, uh, I mean, to TMI, I don't think anyone in our audience cares, but what happened was that because I, the pain for me was so unbearable, I took that epidural too soon. Okay, and nice. I think uh, that, that actually happens. stalled my mm. labor. So then I had to take a lot of Pitkosin mm. to progress for the labor to progress. Uh, so I'd rather avoid that situation and try and just delay the epidural. But I need like uh, maybe a doula because my husband and my mom were saying don't take it. And just because they were saying don't take it, I was like, I am taking it <laughs> right now. So I feel like I need like that mental yeah, yeah, fortitude. Yeah, that really helps. Yeah. That yeah. really helps. Because if you have a, yeah. 
and you have somebody who helps you and also if you do your exercises and you know if she can make you do some exercises yeah. even during labor during labor. that also helps the baby come down yeah so now we're kind of like running out of time anika do you have any parting questions no i think this was great this this was greatly eye opening and i think one of the things that i really want to take back with me is what you said is that uh, you know women are very strong because our bodies are built to sort of produce and create mm. and give life um but it's still every month it's still hard man those hormones <laughs> i'm feeling them <laughs> i'm so aware yeah. of that so thank you for like helping me with all my questions leading up to it that was sure. that was really wonderful i'm yeah. glad you found that useful mm-hmm. but one thing i would like to because i think that we started with Uh, teenage girls and what they can do so that's one one point i wanted to make i would like to use this opportunity to highlight that i think um, all young girls and i think mothers who have who are um, mothers i mean or mothers of young girls i mean not i mean your daughter hasn't reached that stage yet but from the age of maybe 9 all girls younger than 15 should get their cervical vaccine shots yeah. Oh yeah because it can prevent cervical cancer mm-hmm. and uh, we have our own uh, vaccine also which is made in India Cervivac which has come come in now and they're also planning to make it a part of the universal immunization program where they're trying to i mean in future implement it in a way that the children will get that the girl, girls will get that vaccine in school okay. and in fact this shot is not only for girls it's even given to boys In Australia, they've already started giving it to boys also because it not only protects you against cervical cancer, it also protects you against anal warts, oh, okay. which even the boys can get, right? So, but it's just that India, because you know, I don't think the first we need to have enough stock for the girls, mm. then probably we'll try and include the boys. boys yeah. But then uh, this is something I would like to highlight that mm. girls who are younger than 15 years should get, and at that age, you just need two shots. And uh, so, yes, that's Probably something. Growing up, we need like three. Three shots. Then you need three. Yeah. So and it's ideal older, to get it's the, less effective. Uh, yes, it's ideal to get it before you're sexually active. Yeah. But still, um, you know, less than 26, you should really get it. But in India now, they've also they've also increased the limit to 45. That even mm. you know, even if you're up to 45, you should still take it. Yeah, because mm. I was even the saying that you, it, at every age it reduces the risk. Yeah. To so the degree. younger you are, the better. And yeah. if you're not exposed to HPV virus. the better mm. it is for you mm. but still regardless get the vaccine mm. and also remember that if you've got the vaccine it does not spare you from not getting your pap smear pap smear yeah like you still need to get the pap uh, smear get yeah. your screening done and so like before we part like tell me a couple of things that people should definitely do as regular uh hygiene in their life like the pap smear is one of them the cervical cancer shot is one of them is one the of cer- them yeah. and and also uh, the one uh, what they should do is not unnecessarily do vaginal douching and think of and try that? and wash so sometimes a lot of women also feel that you know they don't feel clean down there and they feel that they should clean it with soaps or perfume sprays and you know all okay. that should be completely avoided vagina is self cleansing you don't need to use perfume sprays you actually you just all you need is normal water normal tap water and clean your vagina with it the outer part the vulva that you still need to clean but inside you don't need to clean it vagina is self cleansing so you don't need all that okay that's a very important part of uh, hmm. maintaining your uh, vaginal health hmm. and uh, yeah and practice uh, safe sexual uh, safe sex practices you know those should be adhered to 
and uh, those are, and of course and if you are sexually active maybe try and get on a, the pill or use some form of contraception that you find best for you you should go mm -hmm. speak to your and gynecologist and contraceptives have a lot of um, you know sort of stigma also associated with them at least from like when i was in college and i was in school and they, we were hearing about it a lot of people used to complain about how hormonal that makes you and sometimes it even helps you with your skin and hair i remember some one of our friends used to tell me oh i i don't really take it for contraception i use it for my skin and hair yes it does so it does help to clear out your skin and that's a particular type of contraception so where uh, one of the components you know it's to, generally these oral, oral contraceptive pills are a mix of two pills so it depends there are also two types you, know, you can have estrogen plus progesterone pill or only progesterone pill so we have these pills where uh, a particular combination helps you with your skin also and your hair which we prescribe for pcos patients as well mm. uh, but you know the real again you know the real uh, secret to a good skin or good hair is again internal like you know if you're exercising sleeping on time avoiding junk food again it all boils down to your lifestyle avoiding stress mm -hmm. all that is going to give you you know good skin you don't need to start taking pills just for this purpose mm -hmm. and a lot has to be do with a healthy gut there yeah. is a lot of talk on that so it's again a, a very uh, uh i think your lifestyle choices make a huge difference mm -hmm. in you know yeah. how how you I look agree. and you feel yeah. i think we have to get you back for another segment because one of the things that i really wanted to talk to you about maybe we can talk about it later another time is ivf for mm -hmm. couples you know um and the choices and the time and the process it can be quite um intense for some mm -hmm. and a choice for some mm -hmm. so i'm sorry we did not get enough time to talk about it and also sure. there are so many laws and legal mm -hmm. um uh, ramifications to this evolving sort of medical practice as well yes. in india and yeah i i think maybe it's good reason that we did not because there's just so much to talk about i'm telling that. you we can't run out of uh, uh, out of questions for i mean you put women or uh, above the age of maybe like 12 <laughs> in a room with a gynecologist and you're going to have probably unending conversation because these Absolutely. conversations don't happen enough you mm. know it's I usually know. like we need to normalize this yeah yeah and have more uh, yeah, normalize this and i also feel that sometimes when you go and meet your doctor um you just get a very little amount of time with the doctor and you have just so many, like i know i For get sure. i get so overwhelmed because i have so many questions it's like uh black i know no and you're kind of like okay my questions are not a priority you probably have like a woman in labor or something you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, exactly how i feel but you know i don't think patients should feel that way because a do if a doctor has an emergency they will not attend to you they know what is important for them yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so when you go to meet a doctor let them decide you know uh, so don't take the onus on you for their time that you know you need you're being considerate yeah. you speak no, your heart out because that's your one opportunity i've also experienced a doctor who's just generally not that encouraging as you Fendi. are right now um and just give very um sort of you know simplistic answers and they don't explain the problem to me or explain how i may be thinking about it mm -hmm. the right way or the wrong yeah. way or whatever so i think that's something very very important soft skills and also um, that's where empathy comes in i think it's important for a doctor to also be empathetic and give the give the patient the time because that could be the only time the doc the patient that lady has come to you especially i'm talking about the low social strata that's the only or her only opportunity when she's meeting a doctor yeah so when i see a patient i think about that that you know that maybe that's her only time when she's got you know she's come to see me and she may never see a doctor again 
Yeah. And especially for educated patients, for people who have money, they can afford, you know, and they may even, you know, do doctor shopping from one doctor to another. That is okay. But I think special. So I think that uh, somewhere that change, uh, maybe even doctors have to uh, bring in their attitude and maybe be more uh, friendly. Yeah. And I mean, yes, and I, I don't blame the doctors. I remember I read a Brookings report a long time ago where they did a calculation as to what is the average time a doctor spends with a patient and it came down to 45 seconds. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, some of my, and that's no bearing on 45 my 45 seconds is yeah. really? Okay. Yeah, but that, that, that was a gross average, obviously. <laughs> Uh, and especially they went to public sector hospitals, right? Like an Ames or a Saftachang hospital mm -hmm. where there is a line of patients line and free of, treatment yeah, going yeah, on. And it is also the doctor's duty to see as many patients as, as possible because there are several cases, mm. um, which was, which is a, uh, uh, the usual effect of a highly populous country like mm. India, mm. right? It, these things are going to happen. Uh, but yes, I do hear you when, when, uh, when you say the doctor needs to be empathetic uh, over a period of time because I do imagine the doctors may need a lot of therapy also <laughs> after everything that they see. Like cops and doctors, they should all have the best therapist. Yeah. Like I feel I, like the ideal therapist should go to them first <laughs> and then come to the others, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Any therapists need therapists sometimes. As well. A therapist need a lot of therapists. <laughs> there are lots of shows with therapists. Therapists need psychiatrists, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. Unending loop. Yeah. But thank you so much, Namita. This yeah. was super helpful. My and uh, yeah, yeah, we have tons, tons of more questions. And you must promise to come back again. <laughs> yeah. We'll do a part yeah. two. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.